It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. Genesis chapter number three, we've been, we're doing a five-part series we did last Sunday morning and Sunday night. This morning and next Sunday morning and Sunday night is our five-part series. The uh, series, I called it the big picture because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate at one season and the birth that we celebrate at another season is all part of the same great gospel story. Uh, And when I say story, I'm not talking about something that's false. Our word for story has been altered in our English language compared to what it used to mean. And I like uh, the song that one of the the gospel groups does. It's still the greatest story ever heard. And there isn't anything greater. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't, be, you can't be saved if you don't believe Jesus Christ was virgin born. Because if he was not virgin born, then he was born in sin. How can he take our sin debt when he himself is a sinner? But my Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So if you don't have that down, that's, a, that's just one of those fundamental, can't change, don't matter what religion you want to be, don't matter what denomination label you want to put on, either she was virg- uh, he was virgin born or the Bible's a lie. Secondly, you cannot b- be saved and believe in a dead Jesus. He is alive. He I had power to lay his life down. He had power to pick it back up. And he resurrected, and he is the first one who ever resurrected from the grave in a glorified body. People say, he's not the first one. There was Lazarus and others. No, they came back to life in the same body they left. But they did not get their glorified body. So they had to come back. And I'm sure that in my glorified imagination that I have, I can, I can just picture Mary and Martha agonizing over Lazarus. And when Lazarus comes back, I can picture Lazarus saying, why am I here? And Mary and them saying, well, you know, uh, we just missed you so much. And I can hear Lazarus say, next time I go, don't ask for me to come back. See, when you get over there, you're going to find out the half has not been told. That there's no way that anybody could write a letter to you from heaven and explain it. It's unexplainable in our language. Can you imagine being, I'm not even on my subject yet, but this is just too good, so I'm going to run it anyhow. Can you imagine being the Apostle John and being whisked to the future and seeing today? I mean, whoever heard of a traffic jam in like they have today with all these cars or multiple accidents or airplanes in the sky all these things that would have been foreign to him and then the Lord tells you write what you see I saw a great iron bird flying in the sky 
It just doesn't make sense, does it? Yet, we got to get the big picture. we got to see the whole thing. So last time, we looked at how man in the garden sinned. And we looked at how after that sin, they ran and hid themselves. This morning, I want to look at the big picture of God's plan of salvation, starting in the first verse that he ever mentioned it. Chapter 3, verse 15. We dealt last week with the punishment of the serpent, the woman, and the man. But we didn't spend a lot of time on this one verse, verse 15. And I, God, will put enmity between thee and the woman. The between thee is the serpent and the woman. Now, you got to understand, the devil took over the serpent. So he's talking about the devil. And he says here, And between thy seed and her seed, there will be a fight, a war, a hostility, a hatred between the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. That's the seed that we're talking about. The promised Messiah. This is the first promise. Now, it's a vague promise, but as we go through Scripture, He reveals more and more information to by the time we get into the country of Israel, when we see this brand new nation called Israel, we find that every Hebrew woman is longing not just to have a child. Have you ever noticed throughout the Bible that women wanted to have kids? And, but they always wanted to have a boy? You ever seen that? They would get excited. You know why? Because they only understood part of the prophecy. They knew the Messiah would come. But what they didn't understand was he would not be born of natural means. There would be a mom but there wouldn't be an earthly father. There would be a heavenly father. The Holy Ghost would overshadow her. By the time we get to the New Testament, that's exactly what happens. So we see here that there will be a clash. Now hold your finger here. Flip over to Revelation chapter number 12. We're going to dig deep into Revelation chapter 12 when we get back into our prophecy series in January. But I want you to see this because this is exactly the, at the end in the book of Revelation, we're going to see the same hostility that God promised would happen in Genesis 3.15. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now, here's a woman, and she's got some interesting features here. Number one, she's clothed with the sun and the moon. We've heard that before. We've seen that in the book of Genesis before. And then it talks about the 12 stars, the patriarchs of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. This is dealing about Israel. The sun and the moon probably refers back to the original Abraham and Sarah. 
And there's a great wonder, a woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, she's with child. She's travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. There is a birth that happened, and that birth was Jesus Christ. But look at what happens. There appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. We've dealt with that in the book of Daniel chapter 7. And we've seen that these represent the countries that the devil will have uh, under him. And it says here, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Where we, when I told you the devil fell from heaven. When he was kicked out of heaven, he didn't go alone. He took a whole bunch of demons with him that were angels. Demons were once in heaven. And it says, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. What was going on when Jesus was being born? Herod was king. And the wise men came and the wise men said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Based on that verse, Knowing that they were astrologers, the word for the wise men is the word magi in the Greek, that Herod understood what they were saying, being from the east. He was understanding that they have seen a star, and this star is leading them to who will be the king. And Herod says, no, there'll be no king but me. And so he sends them on their way and says, bring me word back when you find them. But being warned in a dream, they returned home another way. And when Herod realized he was mocked, he calculated the time when he saw them to the time it would take to get there to the time it would take to get back home another way. And he decided that every single boy, baby, two years old and under would be killed. Nice guy. Here, the devil has said she was ready to take this baby and snatch him away. That's the hostility that has been in place ever since. Do you understand? People say to me all the time, I don't get it, preacher. Why is it that we tolerate all kinds of religions, all kinds of cults, but when it comes to Christianity, we have to take Christ off of everything? Why is that? I'll tell you why. In nowhere in this Bible does it say the devil's at war with Islam. Nowhere in this Bible does the say that the devil's at war with Buddhists. It says that the devil's at war with Christ. He's at war with God. And he's at war with all who have his name. He despises us who are Christians. The devil doesn't like it because the devil's mad at God for kicking him out of heaven. Now, he goes on and says... And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 2. This is Jesus. So when we go back to Genesis 3, we see that it's the seed of the woman against the seed of the devil and the devil's kingdom. And we've been at war with that ever since. 
This world is at war. I, and I'm not talking about wars that are being fought over in Iraq and all that. I'm talking about a, a spiritual war. A war in very, very high places. And there will be this war. But here's how it ends. It shall bruise thy head. Devil, you are going to get a blow to the head one day and you are not going to survive it. You hear me? There is coming a day when the devil who was bound for a thousand years will be loosed. He will try one more time to gather Gog and Magog and the nations to come against the kingdom of God. But Jesus Christ will step out on the Mount of Olives. They will split and God is going to deal with the devil once and for all. And he is going to take him and put him in the lake of fire. But in the meantime, this devil will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. That bruise the heel probably refers to Calvary. Yet, he's still plaguing us Christians, so he's still trying to hurt us. But here's the good news. The devil can't do anything to a Christian without God's permission. If there's anything the book of Job should stick out in your mind is he has to get permission to do anything to someone who's living godly. See, Job was a man that feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil. Now, if you step out of the will of God, then you're a fair aim for anybody. In fact, you remember the guy who was having an affair with his mother-in-law over in 1 Corinthians? And Paul said, you deliver him over to Satan. Why? To get him to come back to where he belongs spiritually. Here's the deal, folks. If you're living right, if you're living in the way you're supposed to live, clean before the Lord, nothing can happen to you except it goes through the hand of God first. By the way, chastening goes through the hand of God. Trials go through the hand of God. And God says, I will be in charge. So let him. The greatest thing you could ever do is let God. Now, we see that this is the beginning of salvation. Then we know he made him coats of skin. Uh, he, he killed an animal and shed blood. Now we get to chapter number four. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she's excited. I got the man. This is the one. And you know the story here. Then and she bears his brother Abel. They were taught. They were taught what a blood sacrifice was. They were taught what to bring. But Cain refused to bring the blood sacrifice. And Abel did exactly what he was supposed to do. God had respect to Abel's. He had no respect to Cain's. Cain got angry and killed his brother. Now all of a sudden, he's banished. And here's Adam and Eve thinking, okay, I know what the Lord has told us. There's got to be this person. So we get over to chapter number 5. This book of the generations of Adam, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, man, in need, in the day that they were created. And man lived a hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. 
The actual noun part of the word Adam means humanity, earthly. And it has everything to do with you and I who are earthly. We are in humanity. We can't live in the spiritual realm because God's holy and we're not. And so Adam represents all of man in need of salvation. But then he has a son named Seth. The name Seth means to be placed, to be substituted. Seth was a substitute in place of Abel. Therefore, in the picture that this is painting, we have Adam, a man in his humanity who needs salvation. So he's got to have somebody do something so he can go to heaven. He can't do it on his own. He needs someone to do it for him. He needs a substitute. In this case, Seth is the substitute for Abel. Jesus Christ is your substitute on the cross. It's painting a picture. In the names of these kids, it's painting a picture. Then it says in this same chapter, And the days of Adam, after he begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. He says here, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived after uh, Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. Now, his name means mortal, sick, frail. It actually means dying. Here we see in Enos the dying, the need for death. Man's in need of a substitute. Someone has to take the place and die, take the punishment for man. So in the name Enos, we find the substitutionary death. In Seth, we find the substitutionary man, and then we find his substitutionary death. Do you see what it's doing? It's painting the gospel story. The big picture of Christmas and Easter and all the things we said, the big picture is the fact that man is totally a sinner. How many sins does it take to be a sinner, preacher? Zero. David said, I was conceived in sin. You have a sin nature. The sin natures pass from the Father. That's why Jesus Christ didn't have an earthly father. Therefore, he didn't get a sin nature. So what we have is a spotless lamb who will take our place. But it goes on. Seth lived, verse 7, after he begat Enos, 807 years, and he begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Man, they lived pretty good back then, didn't they? Then it says here, and Enos lived 90 years, and he begat Canaan. Now, Canaan, his name means purchaser, possessor. This, again, shows that the death was going to make a purchase. There was a purchase made on the cross. There was a price paid. You pay a price to make a purchase. And you've heard me say this before, that Christ did die for the whole world in the sense that He made a purchase. But for you to come out of the marketplace, you have to receive the gift. You have to trust Christ as your Savior. So we see the need of Christ to purchase us through Calvary. Was Calvary necessary? Absolutely. You cannot take the blood and the cross away. To do so is to do damage to every fiber and being of this Bible. 
This Bible is so plain. It makes it so crystal clear. Why is there a sacrificial system? Why is there a sacrificial system to the entire Old Testament? Why? Because there is no way for man to get to heaven without the shedding of blood. Christ hasn't come yet, so they sacrificed an animal just to push their sins forward a year. Just to take care of them for one more year until they could get to Christ. Then when Christ came, John said, Behold, the Lamb, the Lamb that takes away the sin, that takes away the sin. Canaan is uh, born, he lives 815 years and begat, or Enos lived after he begat Canaan. All the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years, he begat Mahaliel. Mahaliel means praising God, rejoicing. Now, I don't believe that it'd be a far stretch to say that after the death of Christ, if, we're, if this is following the story or the, the gospel, there's no stretch to say this has to be the resurrection. There was not a lot of joy when they put him in the tomb, was there? There were people weeping. There were people crying. There were people going to the garden. There were people who were going to take spices to try to anoint his body. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. Then they were really upset. And Mary remained behind. And she was trying to figure out what to do. And then she saw Jesus but didn't know who he was. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Rabboni. And he turned around and called her name Mary. And when he said Mary, that's when she said Rabboni. I mean, there's just something about the way he says your name. His name is awesome, but there's something about him saying your name. And she understood. And then it, it went around, and before long, there was people rejoicing in the streets because the Lord was risen. But there was one guy who missed church one day. He wasn't in the upper room. And he said, I will not believe that Jesus is alive unless I see him with my eyes and I physically touch those nail prints in his hand and put my hand aside. I'm not believing nothing. Well, Thomas, come to church. Maybe you'll get something. <laughs> Next time they met in the upper room, Thomas came to church. And when he saw the nail prints and he put his hand in the side, he fell down and said, My Lord and my God, there's great rejoicing when a Christian or a person gets saved and becomes a Christian because they have gone from death into life. The greatest joy of being a Christian is to know that you will never, 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 never die. Yeah, your physical body, you'll lay it down. But absent from the body is present with the Lord. Why? Because of salvation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He got up out of the grave for me. Because if he didn't get up, I ain't getting up. But he became the first fruits of those that slept. So we see Mahaliel. And Mahaliel lives 65 years and he begets a guy by the name of Jared. That's what I named my son. It's spelled exactly the same. The word Jared has the idea of descending, coming down. And I believe this is leading us to the great age after Christ's resurrection. What came next in the story of scriptures after Jesus Christ rose from the grave? They were told to go wait into an upper room until a certain day when the church would be birthed. And the church was birthed when there was a descending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, I, I realize that you can't be dogmatic on these names, but I don't think there's any coincidences in the Bible in the order in which things are. 
And I do not believe there's any accidental puttings in the Bible. And I also know that unlike us, names mean things in the scripture. The meaning of names is important. Abraham's father's name was Terah. Terah means delay. Terah delayed Abraham from getting to the promised land. There are all kinds of things that fit the name. Jesus said, you're Peter. Or you're, you're Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter. He changed his name from a stone to a bigger rock. But Jesus is the rock on whom it would all hang on. Now watch. It says, and Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. So we have, if, if Jared is the beginning of the church, we get Enoch, and Enoch comes on the scene and lives 60 and five years, and he begat Methuselah. Verse 22, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365. Now, wait a minute. we got a problem here. Everybody else was living 900-something years. This poor guy didn't make it. And all the rest of them said, and he died, and he died, and he died. But all of a sudden, this guy is 360 and five years, and he didn't die. Somebody says, look at verse number 20, um, look at 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The book of Hebrews says he was translated. And it says he was one, and if you go back to Hebrews 5, he pleased God. Hebrews 11, excuse me, he pleased God. He had a reputation for pleasing God. If you go to Jude, he preached. Judgment's coming. That's what he preached, judgment's coming. How did he know judgment was coming? Probably because of what he named his son. His son's name was Methuselah. Methuselah means when he is gone, it will come. There's several versions of this. Another meaning, people say the meaning means when he is dead, it shall come. And someone says when he dies, there will be a sending forth. It all comes together to me to mean the same thing. When he's gone, something's going to happen. And it's not going to be good. There is judgment coming. Enoch preached to an ungodly nation and said judgment is coming. And he named his son a name that means when he is dead, judgment comes. Now, I want to show you something here because I think it's interesting. Methuselah lived the longest. He lived 969 years and he died. Look at verse 27. 969 years. Now, why did he get to live the longest? How come Adam didn't get to live the longest? I believe it's telling the story, the big picture. And the big picture is, at the end of this man's life, God's bringing judgment. This just shows to me the long-suffering of God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is just God saying, I'm going to bring judgment, but I'm going to wait I'm going to wait. People today say, why is he waiting? Why didn't he come back? I'm ready for the... I've met more Christians today that used to say, I, I'm not ready to go, that are now saying, I want the Lord to come back now. I'm ready to go. What in the world is happening? Well, the world's getting more and more wicked, and we're getting more and more anxious to go home. But here's the deal. What's he waiting on, preacher? He's not willing that any should perish. He's waiting on somebody to get saved. Somebody still is going to trust him as Savior. Because if the Lord knows that the sheep are all in the fold, I don't see any reason why he would hang around down here much longer. I think he'd take us home. 
there's still a lost sheep. Didn't he, didn't he say if you got 99 found sheep and one lost, you go search diligently for the one and leave the 99 in the safety of the fold? As soon as that last one gets in, we're going home. And I believe that's part of the reason. Now, the next one is the name Lamech. Lamech's name means powerful. Now, I don't know anything much about Lamech. And I, in all my studies, I couldn't come up with anything in his name except to say there's something about him that is unique. And that's what he named his son Noah. Because he named his son Noah, and Noah means peace. Somehow, Lamech was powerful enough to understand the whole picture of God and has the idea that when Noah comes, there's finally going to be peace. Now, I did a little math. I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. Methuselah was 187 years old when Lamech was born. Okay? Lamech was 182 years old when Noah was born. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. If you add that up, anyone want to take a guess what the number is? 969. At that 900, because when Noah entered into the ark, at that point, it was over. Judgment was coming. And you add up those three things, and it fits perfectly. And I believe that Methuselah died, and God's judgment came. I believe next time, there will be the last soul, bam, to be saved. And God's judgment come. By the way, God's judgment came. There was nobody else going to get in the ark, so God shut the door. Does that encourage you? God shut the door. It's not over when I say it's over. It's over when God says it's over. Isn't that amazing? It's all on God's timetable. So we see that based on the meaning of his name, he more than likely died just before the flood. Now, meantime, Noah, whose name means rest, we find that while Enoch typifies the rapture of the church going out, we see that Noah typifies the peace that comes at the millennium. So all of a sudden, we have gone through all these names and we have started with the seed, the, the man in, in need, We've seen the substituted son. We've seen the need for a death. We've seen the fact that it has to be a purchase price. We've seen the joy of the resurrection. We've seen the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost. We've seen Enoch go up, and that's the end of the church age. When we see the Jews then going through their tribulation and judgment, we see that they end up in a thousand-year rest. And then the Lord's going to finish it off and it's going to be forever and forever however there were those who rejected all of this painting of picture Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Noah preached for 120 years he was called a preacher of righteousness Enoch preached that judgment was coming in their day and only eight people got on the ark so does it 
shock us that in this day and age that we're living in, not as many people are getting saved as they used to years ago, especially in a country like America where a lot of light has been given. Remember, to whom much is given, much is required. We've had a lot of light, and there was a time when we turned to the light, but now there's a great rejection of the light. And in this country, there is a great propensity of people, a great preponderance of people, a great set of powerful people who are doing everything they can to remove the word Christ. You can't say Christmas tree. It has to be a holiday tree. You can't say Christmas. It has to be happy holidays. And I make sure when somebody answers the phone, happy holidays, that I'm offended. If, I, if everyone's going to say I'm offended by Merry Christmas, then I'm going to let them know I'm offended by your happy holidays. It's Christmas. I've seen a lot of powerful Jewish people that you would know if I called them out. They're famous, they're on television, they're po politicians, and they're economists. And I've seen them come out and say this, I'm a Jew and don't believe in anything, but I have never been offended at someone calling and saying Merry Christmas. It's something that's been come as an onslaught of the devil just as a tool to stir up and they throw the separation of church and state which is the most misused phrase there is in politics today. It's a lie. It's not true. They don't know what they're talking about. I can and I will preach on everything our government is against when the Bible says to be against it. You can't alter God's word because the world says it's okay. You won't stand before the world. You won't stand before a king. You won't stand before a president. You won't stand before a senator. You'll stand before Almighty God and you'll keep your mouth shut. What are you going to say to God when he's got the record book and he can play it all on his video system, which makes anything we've ever had look sick? This paints the greatest picture of the great gospel message. And do you know every time you turn a page, that's what this Bible does? It paints the message. Look for Christ in the entire Old Testament. He's there. He's in the Passover. He's in the blood sacrifices. He's the captain of the host there in Joshua. He is the one who is there when the splitting of the Red Sea comes. He is the pillar and the fire everywhere. He's the water from the rock. Why do you think Moses got in trouble the second time? Remember the first time God said, smite the rock? The second time he said, speak to the rock? See, the smitten rock... That was Christ being crucified. That was a great picture of what Christ would do. When Moses smote the rock the second time, he was trying to crucify Christ again, like so many people try to do. There's a great old song that used to be on the radio years ago. Never again will they nail his hands. Never again will they pierce his side. Never again will he be mocked and left to die. Never again will he know pain. Never again will he know the shame. They've done it once. They'll never do it again. He came willingly to die the first time. He's coming back the second time to prove who he is. I told you to trust in me. 
You didn't believe in me. Now I'm going to show you who I am. And the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. How are they going to prevail against him? That's the great picture. The picture in the first four or five chapters of Genesis shows the whole gospel message. And that's what this Bible is all about. People need the Lord. Next Sunday, we're going to go into the New Testament and look at another in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And we're going to see the fulfillment of the big picture in the Old Testament. And when we do, I hope you'll remember why we celebrate Christmas and why you can't take Christ out of it. Because without Him, there is no great gift. Over in the book of James, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You know, if you didn't look that up, you wouldn't understand that there's two different Greek words there. Every good gift. That word denotes the act of giving. And every perfect gift, that's the gift bestowed. So every act of giving that's good came from above. Every action, so that's the action part, the action of giving. If it's good, it originated up above. Every good thing I've ever done to give a gift to somebody came from him telling me to do it. Every good gift, and now the best gift came from above too, by the way, Jesus. And every gift he gives, the thing given, the second one, is perfect. Every good gift and every perfect gift. If God gives you something, he's so good in his giving. He's never been bad in his giving, but what he gives you is perfect. You ever thought about it that way? He's never given a wrong gift. How many of you are scratching your head? What in the world am I supposed to give this person for Christmas? I mean, the God's got everything. God's never made a mistake. Never made a mistake. By the way, God said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and we have it completely opposite. It's become so much about what I need to get, what I want, what I hope, and we get all upset and pitch a fit and lose all kinds of cells in our brains over not getting what we wanted for Christmas when the truth is it's all about the gift that was given, the greatest gift. I don't need my payday down here. I'll take it over there. Jesus said, you want your gifts, you want your rewards for four men? You can have it. It won't last. I've not received a lot of rewards just because somebody said, hey, we pick you. I've earned some rewards, you know, you, you memorize verses. But for someone to say, we love you, here's a reward. I only got one in my whole entire lifetime. In 1970, as a teenager, I got the spiritual leadership trophy. Oh, man, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just floored. But guess what? It didn't survive the moves. I don't know where it is. I do know that as it moved, it, it started bending more. It was, it was about like that. Somewhere along the line, it got pitched or something, but it, it didn't survive. I don't want that kind of reward, do you? I want the kind of reward that lasts through the fire so that I can have it in my hands and cast it at his feet and thank him for giving the greatest gift, the reason why I'm there. Amen? Father, help us to see the big picture. The whole Bible tells that story in different, 
through different pictures over and over again until we get to the New Testament. And then it's spelled out in details because it literally happened right there at that time. And then the epistles remind us of the doctrinal truths that we are to take to the church as we go backward to a cross. Those in the New Testament were always looking back at a done deal. But those in the Old Testament were always looking forward to something they were looking forward to happen that they'd seen painted in pictures. Pictures that you gave so graphically that they understood that there was the Messiah to come. And women wanted to have a boy child praying they would be the one. But now we're throwing away our belief systems for a world system that offers no peace, no hope, no help, and absolutely no security for eternity. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their personal Savior, they would, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, say, I need Jesus. May we not lose sight of that this Christmas. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Piscopharis, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.